Tuesday morning to you, Oregon. I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon Podcast. Since it is Tuesday, this is an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode several years ago. Thanks for downloading, and I sure hope you enjoy it. This story was first published on February 15th of 2015 under the headline, Bold Bandits Robbed Express Train, Three Miles from Roseburg. Here we go. It was just another work night for the engineer and crew of the number 15 California Express on the night of January 29, 1897. They'd passed all the long, lonely stretches where train robbers like to operate, and now they were in settled country, steaming past the little community of Shady Point. In three miles, they'd be pulling into Roseburg. So when a man with a lantern started signaling frantically for their train to stop, they weren't particularly suspicious but they probably should have been. A few months previously, Judge Charles Bellinger had overturned the conviction of two men who had almost certainly robbed the same train in Cow Creek Canyon in 1895, Jack Case and James Poole. The two of them had been seen around Roseburg, and as if they weren't trouble enough, another notorious train robber, Bob Hinman, was rumored to be hiding out in town after breaking out of prison in the Dalles. The unsuspecting train engineer, a man named Mr. Morris, the newspapers give no first names for anyone involved in this story, promptly reached for the brake and started the laborious process of bringing the train to a halt. A few minutes later, a neighboring farmer named Mr. Lindsay heard a big explosion down by the railroad tracks. The train crew might not have been thinking of robbers that night, but Lindsay sure was. He reached for his Winchester and started toward the railroad tracks, then stopped short. In the distance, he could see flames starting to brighten the sky, and that suggested the explosion was an accident, maybe a catastrophic one. Lindsay put the rifle down, and catching up an axe in a bucket, ran to help put out the fire and rescue the victims. Alas, upon arrival, he realized that he'd brought the wrong tools. It was indeed a robbery. It had started off well enough for the robbers. After the engineer pulled up at the signal light, the signaler gave him a quick look at the business end of a revolver, and then another robber stepped up around the coal tender to join him. This second robber, apparently looking to make sure Morris didn't get any heroic ideas, sent a couple bullets singing past his ears, which alerted the fireman, Mr. Hendricks, as to what was going on. Hendricks found himself on the other side of the engine from both bandits. The town of Roseburg was less than three miles away so he leaped from the train and sprinted for his life toward the cover of a nearby embankment as the cursing robbers hustled to get around the train in time to shoot him down. For an instant, he was exposed to their fire as he vaulted over a short wire fence. If the robbers had been ready, they could have picked him off easily, but they weren't, and after that, he was over it, and he was gone. There was nothing for it but to work fast. Hendricks would cover the three miles to Roseburg in less than half an hour, and a mounted posse would be on its way minutes after that. The robbers hurried to collect the train crew as hostages and, so to speak, apply for admission to the express car, where all the good stuff was located. The escape of Hendricks probably meant that there wouldn't be time to crack the huge express safe, but there would probably be other things there. But inside that express car, the express messenger, a Mr. Butler, had heard the pistol shots and quickly deduced what was up. He readied his shotgun and waited to see what would develop. Soon someone thumped on his main door. 
Open up here or I'll blow you to hell, the robber yelled. Cautiously leaning out the other door, Butler cut loose with a charge of buckshot at the shadow beating on the side of the car. But he must have shot high because the robber whipped round and fired at his muzzle flash. The woodwork behind Butler's head splintered. Butler pulled the trigger again, but his second barrel didn't fire. Dodging back into the car, he started feeling around for his box of shotgun shells. Quote, As I was groping around to find it, he suddenly threw a big bomb in the car, and I knew it was time to get out, Butler told the Roseburg plane dealer afterward. I was taking a good many chances to get out, but I knew that if I stayed there, I would be blown to pieces the next minute. I jumped out on the river side of the car, a jump of about six feet, and ran, gun in hand, into the coach behind. The next minute, the bomb blew up with a terrible explosion, splintering the window glass in the coach I was in and tearing the express car nearly to pieces. This was the explosion Farmer Lindsay had heard, and it soon started the fire he'd seen. The robbers grabbed what they could, then forced their way into the mail car and ransacked the registered mail pouch. But they made no move to bother the passengers, either because they were aware that a posse was already on its way, probably, or because they were worried about being shot or made by one of the passengers. In any case, quote, The passengers were not subjected to the mortification and indignity, to say nothing of the financial loss, of a stand-and-deliver ordeal the plane dealer writes. Nevertheless, there was a hasty concealment of valuables, and those who were traveling with their wives, knowing the gallantry of the western bandit, gave their purses into the keeping of the weaker half. But the robbers merely grabbed what they could from the wreckage and galloped away. Behind them, they left the burning express car in such a shambles that no one was ever able to figure out how much valuable property was stolen and how much was simply destroyed or burned up. They never did figure out for sure who the robbers were. The next day, Jack Case emphatically denied that he'd had anything to do with the job. And in fact, he may not have been lying. It was not Case's style to neglect to rob the passengers. But perhaps aware that he'd be the first suspect, he quit the town almost immediately, making his way north to Washington, where he apparently hoped to find fresher pickings. He did. And he found something else, too. About halfway between Tacoma and Stillicum, up in Washington, he threw down on a streetcar full of passengers and started relieving them of their valuables. One of his victims, the superintendent of the streetcar line, a Mr. Dame, pulled a revolver on him. The air for a moment was thick with smoke and lead, and when it all cleared away, Mr. Dame had been shot in the arm, and one of the passengers had taken a bullet in his leg. As for Jack Case, he was lying in the gravel beside the car, stone dead. Key sources in this story have included works by R. Michael Wilson and the back issues of The Roseburg Plain Dealer, The Dow's Chronicle, and The Sacramento Union from 1897. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. More info is at our hub page at offbeatoregon.com. Offbeat Oregon is a division of Pulp Lit Productions, a boutique publishing house about which more can be learned at pulp-lit.com. Speaking of which, if you enjoy listening to me, you might check out some of my audiobooks. You can find them most easily with a search for my name on audible.com. Most of them are old pulp stuff, H.P. Lovecraft, Edgar Rice Burroughs, etc., but at least two of them are Offbeat Oregon history type stuff. Check them out if you're so inclined. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license. For details, see offbeatorgan.com slash cc. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatorgan.com. 
Episodes of Offbeat Organ History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. Bye now.